Hey guys, this is Landon, and you can find me at Hot Pelicans Takes on Twitter. And you are listening to the Deep South Podcast, bringing you your weekly Pelicans, Saints, and LSU Tigers coverage by fans for fans. How's it going, guys? And welcome to another edition of the Deep South Podcast. My name is Landon, and you can find me at Hot Pelicans Takes on Twitter. And today we're going to take a break from our Anthony Davis trade series to talk about some offseason topics and decisions that the Pelicans are going to have to make this offseason. And I have a special guest with me today, Jake Madison from the Locked On Pelicans podcast. Jake, how's it going, man? Thanks for coming on. Of course, doing well. Always happy to talk some Pelicans and some hoops, so thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. So let's just jump right into this thing. It's kind of be going to be a mixed bag of different topics today, but the Pelicans have a lot of decisions to make this summer. So um, so it's pretty fitting that we're kind of going to jump around here a little bit. Um, but first, let's just talk about the team right now. I know, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, maybe the casual Pelicans fan is maybe losing interest, not watching the team every single night. And I know um, a lot of us are busy and haven't been able to watch them a whole lot. But, but um, yeah, the team has been doing some different things since Anthony Davis has not been in the lineup. Um, I want to talk about a little bit of what they've been doing and then just some uh, some things that are going to determine what happens this offseason that we're doing this season. So right now the Pelicans, um, since Anthony Davis has been playing little to no time, the Pelicans actually find themselves as the best passing team in the league, averaging the most assists in the NBA, um, also have the most turnovers, which um, you know they've kind of had their turnover struggles all year. But with AD not in the lineup, they've become the best passing team. So, uh, Jake, what have you seen from them not having AD in the lineup? Do you think that not having to feed this guy the ball every night and um, you know kind of ruining the team's chemistry a little bit just with the whole situation around him, what have you seen from the team's play style um, that's changed since Anthony Davis has uh, not found himself in the lineup as often? Yeah, you kind of hit it. So they were always a team that wanted to pass a lot, and that's what they're kind of built around, passes in transition or passes when they do get into the half court to find the open man and to make things work that way. But what you're seeing right now is you don't have this guy who's taking 20 to 30 shots per game that requires the ball. So, so often they get the ball to Anthony Davis, he would make a move and try and score, and they don't need to worry about that right now. And a lot of these guys aren't nearly as talented, even remotely as talented as Anthony Davis. So you have to work a little bit harder to be able to find good looks and that requires more passes from it so these guys are all kind of going out there trying to win games because the players don't want to tank they want to go out and play basketball and win games and by doing so they're sharing the ball around passing it to find these open looks giving up a good shot for a greater shot and i think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing those assist numbers come up it's just they want to score they're going to have to move the ball around because they're easy to contain one-on-one and on the flip side of that it's like you said they lead the league in turnovers and that that has kind of jumped up a little bit 
it's been a bit of a problem all season long, but that's partially because the more passes you make, the more chances you have to have one kind of go off someone's hands or out of bounds or have one of them be bad. So with a lot of passing comes a lot of turnovers, just kind of a natural way of life with it. But I think you've got to have been pretty pleased with what you've seen from some of these young guys, the unselfish play of the team since Anthony Davis has made that trade request and that they're limiting his minutes. So it's growing. They're playing that gentry style of ball that they want to do. And I think overall it's been good, all things considered. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't think any Pelicans fans will argue that the Pelicans are a better team without Anthony Davis. Um, obviously, we're going to have to find um, some different players to build around and things through the the Anthony Davis trade deal that we're going to have this summer. Um, so nobody's going to argue that they're a better team, but they've certainly been a fun team to watch and a team that's getting their young guys involved. And, and like you said, just finding that best shot um, that they can possibly get. Um, we all know the, the Anthony Davis situation, the league kind of um, almost bullying the Pelicans into playing him and so he's kind of found himself at around 20 minutes or so um per game but but now along with that we find now drew holiday um with this injury that he had more recently and uh possibly um maybe out for the rest of the season so jake do you think that uh drew holiday will play another game this season with the pelicans and how do you think that that'll affect their lottery chances if he doesn't in fact play again yeah, you know, it, it came out today in practice that, you know, Alvin Gentry said they're going to be very cautious with it. He said the other night that, you know, if it was a, a big playoff push that this team was making, he could play. He could go out there and he could do this right now. It's an abdominal strain. It's not anything that's, you know, career-threatening or that's likely to get worse or bigger or anything like that. They're just being cautious because why not be cautious with a player's health at this point? When you're out of the playoffs, you're not getting in there. You may as well take it easy. I think it's kind of funny also that Drew Holiday hit a number of incentives that required playing time uh that kind of 65 game threshold and minutes per game and all of that and then once he hit those incentives made some more money has immediately kind of shut it down i think they were playing him to kind of hit those numbers do right by him and then just kind of doing what's best for the team now which is switching to that youth movement keeping him out of the lineup getting more minutes for guys like frank jackson more minutes for others as well maybe take a longer look at stanley johnson so i think that's kind of what's happening here now that he's hit those incentives there's just not as much reason to, to play him. It'll obviously, you know, help their lottery chances in terms of losing games without him. Uh, that's what this team is playing for at this point. It's kind of a weird year to be looking at that. There's clearly a top three in when it comes to the upcoming draft and how you'd rank some of these guys. And after that, it gets a little bit dicier. You know, I know people want to see them tanking and losing games, but I think they're going to be competitive because they're trying to win and they have these young guys or guys on expiring deals that are hungry and want to prove them themselves and that wins you a couple more games i don't think it's that big of a deal if you're picking from four to ten you're largely going to get the same caliber of player and i think that's somewhere where the pelicans are end up being i don't see them really getting above seven in the lottery the difference between seven and ten in this draft is pretty minuscule so i think you'll see them go out and try and win and compete and not really be that concerned themselves about losing games yeah, I don't think that people will blame Drew Holiday at this point and blame the team for being cautious with him. Obviously, he's had a career year this year, putting up pretty much career highs across the board. Um, and it's kind of just become the uh, the unsung leader of this team. And so that's been great to watch. Um, but yeah, I don't think we blame the team for for being cautious right now. And and uh, Drew Holiday's definitely debunked the the stigma around him that he's like a injury prone kind of guy and stuff. So I'm glad that he's been able to really show out this season and kind of just debunk all of those uh those th theories and you know misconceptions about him um and I'm just glad that he's the leader of this team because he's a guy that just really hits home with fans uh I know all of us 
just know what what happened with his his wife um, not too long ago and how the Pelicans worked with him on that. Um, and I feel like the both both sides just feel like they owe each other with the you know just the loyalty he's shown here and re-signing here and things like that. So um so yeah, that was going to be the next thing I talk about though with this pick. Um, so I kind of wanted to get your take. I know you already talked about it a little bit, but kind of the best case scenario of what the Pelicans are going to be able to get, um, likely in that kind of seven to ten range. Um, do you think that the uh, if we do get, in fact, like a uh, you know a pick somewhere in the seven to ten range, and we and we can't move up into that top five, top three, um, with with the odds that we have right now, do you think that um, it's still worth it to go ahead and draft that player? Or do you think the Pelicans will pursue any kind of um, a trade or anything like that to find some other young talent in the league? You know, it, it's a little bit early to say, but I think, uh, you know, whoever they hire as the new GM is going to come in and they're going to have looked at this past with general manager Del Demps, former general manager of Del Demps, I should say, that traded away first-round pick after first-round pick after first-round pick. And if you're trying to kind of reinvigorate the fan base, get them back on your side, show them it's not business as usual, how it's been before. We have a new regime. We're taking a different approach. We're looking at things differently. Having your new GM come in and trade a first-round pick for an established NBA player, even one that could be young, is not the way to do it. And it looks like you're going to start repeating the mistakes of the past under this new regime. So I don't think that's what you'll see happen. I think that would be a big concern. Um, I expect them to draft someone there, someone they think they can mark the team around kind of as the future and something like that. And also what they do might end up depending on the trade with Anthony Davis. He'll get moved before draft night. So you should have an idea of what your roster will be and what your needs say if it's the seventh pick, maybe in a best case scenario uh, that, you, that you'll have there. So I think you'll see that. You'll say hey, we have enough room to bring in another young guy. We don't need to get an established vet because our core guys are going to be much younger it's not as important to make the playoffs this year as it was say with anthony davis and hopefully the new gm will be able to come in and take a longer look at things i think because of that you'll see them draft someone this coming june july whenever the draft is yeah i'm hoping that's the case um i even even if it's not um you know one of the top talents in the draft obviously they have all the duke guys like rj barrett zion zion williamson and jay um, you know, Jay Moore and another wing talent that, that's going to be in there. So, um, but I'm still hoping that they do draft that player. I just, I just can't see um, in terms of, you know, saving face and things like that. The, the Pelicans want to build up a good reputation with the league. They want to establish that, that culture and kind of put the past behind them in terms of the Anthony Davis era. And like you talked about with Dell Dems kind of trading all of our first round picks away. So I think just to, to establish that, um, you know, just kind of that positive, that look on the team going forward. I think that they do have to do that. Uh, and that kind of brings me to a Twitter question we had from Tejeda, um, who says if the Pels do in fact land a top three pick, um, do you think that it will make whoever's the GM lead towards an, a certain AD trade package? And you kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, but do you think that the placement of this pick will change um, how the Pelicans are going to look at this trade deal significantly? That's actually an interesting question. I hadn't really thought about it. I'd say my, my inclination is no. I think you go out and you get the best package you can get, whatever you feel that is. And I don't, you know, it's a, somewhat of a subjective thing. I think you go out and you get the best deal you can get for Anthony Davis, and then you draft the best player available. And you usually try to then try and figure it out and make it work. More in the NFL, do you draft based on positional need? Usually in the NBA, you want to take best player available, and then you can kind of figure out a way to make it work, especially given that positions are so fluid in today's modern NBA. So, you know, maybe you still make a trade with a, a team
team like the Boston Celtics bring in a guy like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, who both play on the wing, but then John Morant's out there and you bring him in too, and you'll figure out a way to make it work. And also some of these guys are still young. They'll have trade value in the future. If things don't work out, you can move them. They're also going to be cheap, so you have a lot more malleability there with you with your roster. So I think no matter what, you're just going to get the best that you can get and start stockpiling assets to rebuild for the future. Somewhat similar to what the Philadelphia 76ers have done. And I think that's going to be kind of the most important thing to building a long-term successful franchise. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you there that we do need to just find the best talent available. We had another Twitter question was kind of asking specifics about what the Pelicans may be looking like in the draft. So maybe, um, and obviously we want to get the best player available, but um, you can, maybe we can both answer this one. Cause I think we may feel the, the same way about this, but um, okay. So, so we had a Twitter question that was kind of along those same lines, and I definitely agree that we should take the best player available. Um, but at Ballify NBA asked, uh, positionally speaking, what type of player would you like to see the Pelicans draft? So if the Pelicans are, in fact, looking at a specific position in the draft, um, along with kind of taking the best player available, what kind of player um, in, at position-wise do you think that they'd be looking for specifically? I mean, again, it's tough to answer when you don't know the makeup of the roster, and I don't think they're they're really targeting a specific position. Obviously, in today's NBA, you want some wings that can defend and that can score because those are not easy to find, and the Pelicans haven't had one of those in, I don't know, two decades, it feels like, since before they were here in New Orleans. Has it been just a rotating door of small forwards? So, obviously, if one of those players is available, maybe you put a little bit more importance on them and use it potentially as a tiebreaker between a big or a guard and a wing that you kind of feel are all equal, maybe then you look at the wing because those are in short supply and so important to succeeding in today's NBA. Yeah, for sure. And I think it'll depend on, too, like who we re-sign in the offseason and things like that, which we'll talk about in the second segment. Um, I think that we should take best player available no matter what position. But personally, I kind of am straying away from getting another big man, definitely not another center, just because I, I just think – building around a, a big man in the league has has more or less just seemed like it doesn't really work too well in terms of um of building a championship team. I mean, uh, you know, we can't say that Anthony Davis being a big man and um, you know, was the reason that we weren't able to to put a good team around him. I mean, obviously the the management here in New Orleans and the general manager specifically in Dell Dimps um had his ups and downs, made a lot of mistakes in terms of building that team. Um so I don't know, maybe you can give your take on that. But um, yeah, personally, I would say building around wings and guards um, would be the, the more favorable position going forward. But, um, but how do you feel about um, you know, drafting partic- uh, a big man if there's somebody there that, um, that looks um, you know, reasonable, maybe like a ball ball or, or somebody like that? Yeah, I mean, look, if, if you end up with the number one overall pick, you're taking Zion Williamson, who's basically a power forward at that point. So you're going to try and build around him. I think it just depends what's going to be available there. Um, certainly, I think there's more of an emphasis on guards and wings in the modern NBA than there is um, on, on like a big man or kind of that lumbering version of a center. But you don't see those really coming through the draft as much anymore. So you can build whatever roster it is specifically around whatever guy it is, as long as you have a smart GM who can kind of plan things. Things out. The problem with Dell Demps was that his core premise was flawed of what their timeline was going to be. Most rookies take, you know, three years to really impact your win total. They felt it was going to take Anthony Davis about a year and a half. So instead of drafting and keeping cheap young guys there, they bloated the salary cap with moves like Drew Holiday, which admittedly did work out. Signings like Drew Holiday 
Ryan Anderson and others that pre- prevented them from having a lot of salary cap flexibility. Look at a team like the Philadelphia 76ers who did the opposite of it. They traded for Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler within like three months of each other because they had so many guys on cheap contracts that were young and had value. And the Pelicans didn't go that same way. So, And they're building around a big man pretty much in Joel Embiid. So it, it's not so much the position, but the process and the approach you take to it. So they could, they could draft a big. They can build around that as as long as they kind of realize what the timeline is and the, the correct way to go about doing this. Yeah, I agree with that. I think just making the right decisions in that regard will do wonders for this team and building around those young players, like you said, because even if you don't find, you know, not every young player is going to be the next superstar in the league, obviously, um, you know, even with top 10 players. I mean, even uh, finding, a, um, you know, a super a future superstar in the top 10 is still pretty, pretty unlikely, uh, you know, these days. And so I think just having those young players, though, with value that um that you know that are appealing to other teams and that you can make those trades and things happen uh, will do wonders for this team going forward. And that kind of goes back to establishing that culture and things like that that they're building for the future. Um, and they have a plan in mind because um you know the last few years um you know you know we had do it big and, and that kind of stuff. But I mean in turn you know the Pelicans didn't really seem like they had a clear plan and vision going forward to one they wanted to build it kind of just seemed like um you know they got a superstar player in boogie because he was what was available and and what they could get with the assets that they had and you know other than that it didn't really seem like they had a clear uh vision in mind but that'll that'll definitely um you know be something that we'll watch for in the offseason but before we get to our next segment uh let's briefly talk about the anthony davis situation a little bit of course i have to talk about it since you're on here um and you cover the pelicans as well so um so, yeah, so obviously you know about the news recently with the Los Angeles Lakers and their injuries and things, and Brandon Ingram having something that could be potentially, um, you know, career-ending. And, of course, we give our thoughts out to him, um, and hopefully, you know, he'll be able to come bounce back and be better than ever. Um, but do you think that the, the situation with the Lakers right now uh, officially takes them out of the running for Anthony Davis? No, not necessarily. You know, they could easily get back in it. The Pelicans, you know, would have made a trade with them if they offered that five-guy young core plus four first-round picks and four second-round picks, and the Lakers just thought that was too rich for them, so they decided not to go ahead and offer that. Had they done that, a deal would have gotten done at the trade deadline. I can tell you there were people inside the Pelicans organization absolutely trying to convince the the decision-makers to make that deal, people whose names would surprise you but I'm not allowed to report on. So that shows you that a deal could get done and the way I look at it is they still come in with four first round picks one that's likely now going to be a lottery pick four second round picks and even three of those young guys say you leave out Josh Hart who the Pelicans weren't particularly enamored with anyway, it's fundamentally the same deal, and I think you could see a trade happening there. The stuff with Brandon Ingram complicates it. To what degree, I don't know. Blood clots are very serious, and that's a scary thing to kind of find out. The good news is it's in his shoulder and not his lower body. It's usually those ones in the lower body that are really scary, that are potentially career-ending, a la Chris Bosh there in Miami. But that it's in his upper shoulder if they can get him on the right medicine or if they can kind of figure out how to clear this it's likely not to be as impactful as a lower body one is i'm not a doctor i don't know the reason why it's not but that's kind of generally agreed upon what it is so maybe it makes a difference maybe not it would certainly make me a little bit hesitant to trade for him and it's kind of a shame because he played he's played exceptionally well over the past two months or so if you like his style of ball 
there's, you'll look at him and say, I don't see that much of a difference between Brandon Ingram, let's say, and Jason Tatum. I think the gap's closer than a lot of people think, though Tatum's on top. But if you don't like his style of play and he doesn't take three-pointers, it's not necessarily kind of that modern NBA stretch four, then you're going to think that gap's a whole lot longer. But I know there's plenty in the Pelicans organization some of the people who aren't going to be there, you know, by the time this trade gets made, that really liked him. And it's, you know, definitely going to throw a complication in there. But it comes down to, do you trust the medicals? Do you have doctors you think that can, you know, make this not a recurring issue? And with New Orleans, that's always a big question. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be interesting to see what the Pelicans front office, especially considering we're going to have, you know, more or less a new front office this offseason, depending on, you know, what happens with the GM situation, if he puts his staff in place and things like that. It's going to be interesting to see if they're still enamored with that deal, um, even without potentially Brandon Ingram being in it, even when the deal was put out initially at the trade deadline. Um, personally, I've just never been very high on Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma. I don't see either of them becoming very good defensive players. And like you talked about, Brandon Ingram has never been able to consistently hit the three since he's been in the league. So kind of just that style of play um, that hasn't really fit to the modern league as well as um, you know many of the other wings that, that teams are trying to build around. I've just never been too high on those players. So I guess we'll see what the the front office thinks about that deal um, and how the deal changes as we get into the off season. Um, but so we have one more thing I wanted to talk about about that. And then we'll take a Twitter question before the reset. Um, so I, I've talked this week about dark horse teams a lot. Obviously I've been doing this trade series. So I kind of started from the bottom up in terms of teams that would uh, be least likely to most likely to sign Anthony Davis. And I've had a couple people on talking about that. Um, and some dark horse teams have definitely come up. One of which was the Brooklyn Nets, um, you know, potentially a package maybe around Jared Allen or Spencer Dinwiddie or if D'Angelo Russell, um, you know, committed to some sort of sign and trade with the Pelicans or things like that. That'd be an interesting thing to explore. Um, and another one is the Toronto Raptors with a package around Pascal Siakam. Um, are there any other dark horse teams or deals that you've been looking at that haven't really been talked about um, in national media? Yeah, you know, the, the trade market for Anthony Davis is a little weird, and that's because he has a lot of leverage right now going into the final year of his contract. And Toronto's definitely one that makes sense. I think they're only really going to kind of get into the bidding, given how good they've been, if they come really close to winning a title, making the NBA. NBA Finals and losing, making it to Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals um, is, is really the only way I see them coming in because whatever team that's going to trade for Anthony Davis is going to need to give up their youngest player and a bunch of other players and some other picks too and that can potentially gut a team that's kind of greater than the sum of their parts. So a team like Toronto who's not necessarily as top heavy but is deeper, you kind of get rid of what makes them really good. The Denver Nuggets are another team that's kind of similar in that vein to it as well. They have a lot of young talent there. They're playing really well. They're second in the Western Conference. But if they make a serious run at the Toronto Raptors, maybe make it to Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals, maybe they say, we're closer than we realize. We need someone to get us over the hump. So let's try and work out a deal for Anthony Davis. But other than that, I don't see a ton of dark horses. Um, the Brooklyn Nets are an interesting one. A signing trade with D'Angelo Russell is incredibly complicated because in a, a current signing trade, you can only trade one guy basically going out. You can't package him with multiple, which makes it a little bit weirder and tougher to structure and do. Also, they're a team that's, again, young, up and coming. They have a bright future ahead of them. They have cap space. They have draft assets. Do you want to give all of that up for Anthony Davis, who may walk? 
And I think what we'll certainly see is kind of whether these teams become dark horses and get into the mix is what happens with Kawhi Leonard in Toronto. If he ends up re-signing there, I think it takes a lot of risk away for some of these other dark horse teams to kind of come out of the woodwork. In two back-to-back years now, you'll have Paul George re-sign with the Oklahoma City Thunder when it seemed like he was a lock to go to the Lakers. And then Kawhi Leonard looks like he wants to go to one of the two LA teams originally. But if he then re-signs, it looks like you can sell these guys on winning and being where they are currently, which maybe makes a team like Denver, like another, you know, Toronto as well, or then potentially the Brooklyn Nets too, to say, we believe in our culture. We think we'll win with this guy. That's going to be enough to get him to re-sign, so we'll take that chance. But it's going to be weird. I think it kind of might hinge on what happens with Kawhi Leonard first. Yeah, I wish I could just see into the minds of some of these other general managers too, because like there's so many dark horse, te- you know, quote unquote dark horse teams that you could talk about in terms of being interested in an Anthony Davis deal. But at the end of the day, you never know what's going through their mind. And, and like you said, I think the Brooklyn Nets are in a really good position right now. Um, so I do think that it would be a big, uh, you know, a big risk for them to trade for somebody that may or may not even resign. And in, uh, in Brooklyn, especially if they're trading off players like D'Angelo Russell and things like that, which would be hard in its own right. But um. But yeah, so one more question from Twitter before we move into our next segment and talk about some of the the young guys and um you know free agents that the Pelicans have on their team that we're gonna discuss a little bit. Um, this one's from Joe Fagan, I believe. Joe Fagan on Twitter. Um, and he said, "How would it affect the trade market for AD if KD and Kyrie both sign in New York?" You know, I so that's it's, it's an interesting question. It may take Boston out of the running there. It may, you know, make them more interested in trading for Anthony Davis because they need to replace Kyrie Irving. Um, but then they're kind of still hurt from that too. Does it make New York more interested? And a lot of what's going to happen there could be their uh, lottery pick. If it ends up number one overall, is it maybe better to build around Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Zion Williamson, and then have at least some room up against the hard cap to kind of fill out the rest of the roster or do you just go all in trade that number one overall pick for anthony davis along with some other things and then try and make it work from there i don't know which way is better you know the knicks have become a bit of a smarter team not with their ownership but at least with their front office over the past two years so i I couldn't tell you which way they're leaning but it seems like you know that's a coin flip and you could be happy with either option yeah i think it's gonna it's gonna depend on what uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving would be expecting when they get there, right? Because I mean, if they're expecting yeah. to, if they're expecting to, you know, put that super team together and try to win a title right away, and if KD's still ring hungry um, and trying to solidify his legacy even more, then um, then maybe they would just put all their chips in and, and trade for Anthony Davis. Yeah, no, I, I could see that, and you know, those guys are going to kind of be in consultation with the team as they try and figure out what the free agency plan is, what's the plan going forward, and also, you know, if they fall in the lottery, or maybe four teams jump ahead of them because it's now top four versus top three in the lottery, and they end up with say the fifth overall pick, does that make a trade for Anthony Davis even less likely? And they're going to be forced to draft a guy. So there's still so many unknowns. You know, what's the lottery kind of? Uh, wraps up well I think I have a better idea of what the options are going to be on the table for New Orleans yeah I can't wait for the draft lottery it's crazy to think as a Pelicans fan that we're actually hoping to to watch the draft lottery and see what happens because it's been so long since oh really since getting Anthony Davis I mean I know a good bit of people were watching when we drafted Buddy Heald and that was kind of exciting who's not even on the team anymore obviously um, but yeah, it's just not often for Pelicans fans to be to be excited for the draft lottery. So that's going to be fun um, for, you know, for all the Pelicans fans and all of us on Twitter, um, you know, commentating what happens and things like that. But um, 
But yeah, so in the next segment, we're going to do a little reset here. In the next segment, we're going to do kind of rapid fire um, season reviews about the the young players we have on this team, um, the decisions we have to make with them going forward. And then the guys that we have to uh, to make decisions about in the super near future, like Alfred Payton, Jaleel Okafor, and Julius Randle. So stay tuned for that, talking with Jake Madison from Locked On Pelicans. All right, and welcome back to this edition of the Deep South Podcast. I have here with me Jake Madison from the Locked On Pelicans Podcast. And in the second segment, we're going to start it off with doing a little uh, rapid-fire season review of some of the young guys on this team. And let's get it started with Frank Jackson, um, a guy that's really been showing out in the in the recent past. He um, In his last six games, he's averaging 15 points, four rebounds, and one assist. Um, on 49% shooting and and um, kind of my theme that I've been talking about here with these young guys, you always want to find that one elite skill that they have on the NBA level, something that, you know, is just a discernible skill that that um is already transparent when they get into the league and things like that. Um, and for Frank Jackson, it's kind of been his athleticism. Obviously, he does have that nice first step um, and he can get to the rim and, you know, his scoring has been up and down throughout the season, but he uh, he is able to um, to kind of speed past guys. He has all the speed in the world. Um, and something you talked about on your podcast, I believe, is sometimes he's a little too fast. Um, and something he you know he had just had to adjust to that that pace and things like that, and just uh, have the game slow down for him and things like that. But um, but it's really been impressive how he's been able to um, hit the three when he gets open and hit the three in a variety of ways, you know, off the dribble, off the catch and, uh, you know, pull up threes and things like that. What have you seen from Frank Jackson in these last um, six or so games when he's really been showing out? Yeah, you know, it's, it's been a good improvement and it makes me feel better about his future in the NBA. He's been inconsistent, but like you said, his scoring's certainly been there. He plays a little bit too fast, though, and that leads to him taking some bad shots or having more turnovers than you'd like. But those are type of things that rookies do, and he is a rookie. He didn't play last year. You know, he didn't really get very many minutes at Duke because he was injured there as well. So this is kind of the first time he's playing competitive basketball in two or three years, and you've got to let things kind of just go right with him, and it means putting him out there and making mistakes. You know, early on in the year, it was tough for him to find playing time. It led him to being out on the court and trying to do a little bit too much to try and save that spot. And then if he made a mistake, he's constantly looking over his shoulder at Coach Gentry to see if he's going to be pulled. That's not a good way to build confidence. Now he knows he kind of has the freedom just to go out, figure out his game. And you're seeing it come together a little bit, but it has been inconsistent. He can't finish at the rim as much as you like him to do. He's got a couple kind of fancy layups, circus layups. He's been developing a bit of a floater and using the glass more than he has before. So at least adding that to his repertoire of things. But again, you want to see that consistently. His three-point shot has been good. He's doing it in a variety of different ways. Off the bounce, catch and shoot. Uh, he can pull up and transition, whatever you'd like to see from him. The problem is he'll have games where he goes four of seven from deep, and then games when he goes, you know, one of seven. And until he can kind of score consistently like that, it makes you a little bit hesitant to give him a big role next season when maybe this team's going to be fighting for a playoff spot again. He's got a little bit more command of the offense when he's out there. That, of course, comes with time and just playing in the system and being out there with your teammates to kind of figure out where they like to get the ball. He's been more effective in the pick and roll, a little bit slower, a little bit more methodical, which is what you want to see as kind of the guy running the offense a little bit. I think you'll start to see his assist numbers creep up as he just gets more consistent playing time and plays with these guys and kind of knows their spots. And so overall, it's been good. You know, he's a rookie. It's tough to really complain about things. You know, he's drafted in the second round. So overall, you've got to be happy with what you've seen from him. 
Yeah, I've definitely been impressed with the scoring. I mean, we knew the scoring was going to be there, obviously, and the athleticism has always been there. Um, you know, even as a, a more raw prospect at Duke, he was somebody that was super athletic and, and springy, even though they didn't get to see too much of him. Um, but yeah, so hopefully the the assists like you talked about in the, in the playmaking and things will come around. Um, it just hasn't really been something that obviously in limited minutes early in the season, it hasn't been something that we've been able to see from him in terms of running the team and running the offense. Um, and he hasn't really had like his own lineup, even when he was coming off the bench, he wasn't really like the, you know, the point guard off the bench and, and kind of running things, you know, they had like Ian Clark and at times Etwan Moore even kind of running the offense and things like that. So hopefully that's something we can see more of him. But um, what do you see in terms of his defensive upside? Do you think that this can be a guy that can be a legitimate uh, two way player, even coming off the bench or things like that? Where do you see his defense coming in um, in the in the, you know, the near future? Yeah, you know, he certainly has the speed and athleticism to keep up with almost any guard on the perimeter. Rookie, rookies are good defensively. It takes people three, four years to really try and kind of figure that out and put it all together. So you're not going to see much from him right now. Does he have the tools to be a good defender? Yes, absolutely. And that might be the bigger and more important thing from him. He's doing a decent job, I saw, of fighting through screens, which is not an easy task for smaller guys. He doesn't have the best size that you've seen out there. But he can fight through screens, keep up with people. But at the same point, he gets burned at times in one-on-one -on -one defense, which can be a problem. We saw it the other night a little bit where he was just getting cooked, uh, you know, sometimes possession after possession. It's been inconsistent, which, you know what, is almost a good thing for a rookie. So I haven't been, you know, fully impressed with it. We'll have to take a look at three in three years. But he's definitely giving you something out there that makes you think he can kind of grow into that. I don't think he'll be, you know, near Drew Holiday level elite. But if he can keep up with guys and be league average, I think with his scoring, that's enough to carve out a role in the NBA. Yeah, definitely. That's something that we'll just have to watch for um, in the coming seasons. Obviously, like you said, I think he's kind of hitting that that rookie wall right now. And, and um, you know, definitely on the defensive end into uh, the ball, just being able to guard those, um, you know, NBA level players. Um, so we'll see what he can do in the next couple of years as he gets a bigger role with the team and everything. But let's move on to check Diallo, a guy that's just really underwhelmed so far. Um, in his time in the NBA and on the Pelicans specifically, but he's he's been playing pretty well since Anthony Davis is having a more limited role or not playing. Um, in the last 10 games, his numbers come out to about um, almost 10 points a game and seven boards. I really liked um, his improvement on the you know on the rebounding side of things. Um, and he's really been a pretty decent defender. Um, you know, statistically in those last 10 games, he's coming out at about a 101.8 in terms of defensive rating. Um, and he's always I think the main thing that people saw with him was they saw the physical tools and things there. Obviously a really raw prospect. Um, but but when he came out and everything out of Kansas, but but yeah, he's been able to show that um, you know, lately his defensive upside and things. And the main problem with him in the past few seasons was just his awareness there. Um, you know, kind of just learning the system and things like that. A lot of times he just seemed kind of caught off guard on the defensive end and things like that. But what have you seen from Czech Diallo since uh, Anthony Davis hasn't been in the lineup as much? It's been better, you know. I, I'm, I'm always, I've always been mixed on him, and I haven't been high on him before. And it looked like earlier in the year he wouldn't even be back on the roster, or even in the NBA potentially next season. And now that he's getting some more minutes, it's been a little bit more consistent. His role more defined. I think he's played better. But I caution with that because when I went back and rewatched a lot of his film. It's, it's kind of garbage time minutes against backups and third stringers in the NBA. So playing well against those guys doesn't necessarily mean he's good. It just means he should be in the NBA. It's kind of like when he was in Summer League and he played really well in Summer League. 
it's, you know, well, he should play really well in summer league because he was drafted and a lot of the guys he was playing against weren't. So if you're not doing well during that period, it's more of a concern than you doing well and showing me something and making me believe in you. So I think some of that's going on here with Czech Diallo. I think that's one of the reasons why his defensive numbers, and I've seen the same thing, you know, they kind of jump out at you and you're like, wait, has he been that good of a defender? And maybe not as good as those numbers indicate because they have kind of come against just garbage players and garbage time minutes. So I think that's some of it. But overall, though, he's still rebounding really well. Like you said, he's timing his jumps better. He's boxing out a little bit more. And he's doing those type of like little things that make people successful that he wasn't doing before. And now he looks like he should be in the league. And you, he looks like a guy that you would want back on the Pelicans next season. The players also love him. He's a very good locker room presence. He's a fun guy. He's got some nice scoring touch. You can get down low and score that way. Or he can jump uh, as a bit of a jump shot with limited range. He's got a bit of a floater, too. And if you can keep adding to that, you can at least see him sticking around and carving out a role with a couple of minutes a game next season. Yeah, personally, I'm just I'm still not really convinced. Um, you know, I've just I've seen the numbers and I've watched him play and things like that and I don't know. I just I've seen him the past few seasons and there's just not much that he does that that really impresses me. You talked oh, I talked about the defensive numbers and like you said, I mean, every time that he plays when he has had any kind of, you know, obviously he's had a more consistent role lately, but most of the time when he's played and he showed out and had good games, it's like you said against really bad teams or against team second units and things like that. And I feel like he's going to need to diversify his offensive game. If he's going to, you know, have a a significant role in the NBA, Um, he can kind of hit that face up, you know, like 10 to 12 foot jumper and things like that. Um, He can run the floor a little bit. That's one thing that I have liked about his game that he does. He is athletic. He can run the floor and transition and things when he needs to. Um, and when he gets that opportunity to do so, but that's only the really thing in uh, terms of his offense that I've been really impressed with. Um, so I feel like he needs to really diversify his offensive game before he can carve out a consistent role in the NBA. But let's move on from him. I don't want to touch on him too much. Um, let's talk about Kenrick Williams, uh, a guy that went undrafted and has really shown that he has quite a few skills, um, very skillful, smart player and a guy that's um. He's been a good rebounder for us. He's shown that he can make the right pass when he needs to. Um, has even been able to hit the uh, the open three a, a little bit. You know, obviously it's been up and down, similar to Frank Jackson. But uh, what have you seen from Kenrick, and do you think that he can uh, have a place on this Pelicans roster going forward? Yeah, certainly. This is a guy the Pelicans were really high on. They brought him in as an undrafted free agent. He made it through training camp to the opening day roster in a bit of a surprise and then didn't play for a while. And then when he got a start or started getting significant minutes, you could kind of see why. He's a wing player, a small forward, so a position of need. And he can go out and he can rebound and he can hit some open threes. You know, there were a couple games where he's posting double-digit rebounding nights and then he was making two or three threes per game, and giving you that on the money he's making, that's a wonderful player to have. He's hit a bit of a wall recently with his shooting. It sometimes for young guys is going to come and go, where he hasn't been able to hit that shot, despite a significant number of attempts at times. You've seen a couple, you know, one for seven, one for eight nights out there, but he at least kind of contributes in other ways by rebounding and doing what he can. You know, defensively, it hasn't been great, but he's largely asked to kind of guard the opponent's best wing player. You see him matched up against guys um, like Paul George, like LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard as well. That's not an easy task, particularly for a rookie, and most rookies are garbage defense, so asking him to do that is really tough, and he hasn't been 
great. He hasn't been just abysmally bad either. So it's been somewhere in between, which is probably good enough for where he's at in his development. I think this is a guy the Pelicans think very highly of. He'll almost certainly be back next season with the team. Uh, I forget what his contract status is, but they like him. He's going to keep getting starts. They're going to keep giving him minutes to let him just kind of go out and play and figure things out. Yeah, I've liked what I've seen from him. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see, especially next season, when we have a, a younger team, hopefully, and uh, as I anticipate, probably not a team that's competing for They may be competing for the playoffs, like maybe a ninth or tenth seed or things like that, but I don't think that they're going to have a significant enough chance to not um, you know, go ahead and play those young guys and give them some opportunity more next season. Um, but that's going to be interesting to see what he can add to his game over the offseason and, uh, and show us next year. Um, before we move on to uh, to the guys that we're going to re-sign, we're going to play a little Pelican or no Pelican if they're going to be on the team after this season. But um, but yeah, the last guy, um, we, there's not really much to speak on with him because he has been injured. He's been in the G League all season. Um, you know the uh, the summer league MVP to uh, to us Pelicans fans. What do you think we're going to see from uh, Trayvon Blewett next year? You know, I, I think you'll see him more in the G League as well. You know, I think they would have liked to have seen him brought up at this point and play some with the parent club, and they weren't really able to do that earlier on in the year because they were trying to make the playoffs. And, you know, one, it's a coaching staff that doesn't really trust young guys, and two, there was just too much at stake to kind of really focus on his development in the NBA. So he was stuck down there, and now that he's injured, you obviously aren't going to bring him up and you can't play him. It's been a bit of a problem. You know, he's got a good three-point shot. That's really... It, you know, once defenders really started to learn about that in Summer League, they kind of took him out of a couple games there uh, in the second half of Summer League overall. So he needs more time, some more seasoning. I think you'll see him more in the G League. I'm assuming they'll try and sign him to another two-way contract, uh, and hopefully they'll be able to do that because his three-point shot at times looks really, really good. I think he just needs more development. Maybe he can be a spot-up shooter for you in the future for cheap. I think that's kind of what the ceiling's going to be for him. But overall, you know, just if he can get out there and hit some threes, that's an NBA player right there. Yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully we can see a little bit from him next year. Like, uh, he may be in the G League all season, and you know that may be what he needs at this point, um, in his career and his development and things like that. But maybe we'll see a little bit of him next season and and see what he can do on the NBA level. So that would be cool. Um, but let's run through. Um, some people that we're going to be making decisions on this offseason. Let's start with Elford Payton, um, a guy that I kind of think of as like a Swiss army knife almost for the Pelicans. And I feel like every team kind of needs that guy, um, a guy that has shown that he can be a two way player um, when he has you know, given time to the Pelicans. And I think a lot of Pelicans fans still remember those first four games when it looked like the Pelicans were going to be, um, you know, a real, con- you know, possibly contending team in the West and, a, in a, you know, a top four or five team. Um, do you think Elford Payton is going to be re-signed? Pelican or no Pelican next season? You know, I want to say Pelican. He wants to say Pelican. I think it'll come down to the money, um, ultimately, as it does in these situations. He's played well. I, you know, I think they'll bring him back, even if it's on a two-year deal, maybe a three-year deal. If you can get him three for 15 or three for 18, I think he'd be really, really happy with that. Mark Ingram-type money now. Um, and, and bring him back to New Orleans, where he's from. He's a good player. He's a quiet guy, kind of leads by example. He's had a couple triple-doubles. Those couple triple-doubles might get him more money. I think given what, where the Pelicans are going to be next year, that's not necessarily a player that fits in um, for a high dollar amount. So hopefully it's low, and hopefully he's a Pelican next season. I think he will be. Yeah, I think that we can make some kind of team-friendly deal work. Um, and that's kind of where I'm thinking maybe like um, – you know, like maybe – 
four to six million a year, I'd say, um, you know, on a two to three kind of year deal would be best for him. But I, I think we're going to need a point guard. I'd still like to have Drew um, more off the ball if we can. I guess it just kind of depends on who we get back in the um, in the trade, obviously, and things like that for Anthony Davis. We'll kind of determine what position he's playing and, and who's going to be the point guard. But I'd like to see him on the team. He's still relatively young. He's like 25 right now. So, you know, he could grow a little bit with this team. Um, he may not necessarily be on the timeline of the guys we get in the trade, but but I feel like the Pelicans are always just in need of a point guard. So I think that he could definitely still carve out a role with the team. And hopefully we can bring him back on something team-friendly. Let's move on now to Jaleel Okafor, um, a guy that's just proven time and time again and in his time with the Pelicans that he can just score down low. And that's what he does best. He can score down low. He can um, He's all up and down with his rebounding. Um, it's been a little better this season, but um, you know he's never been the greatest rebounder, which is something that's you know uh, you know to be desired from him. But um, and he's shown that he can kind of play a little bit of defense in the paint. So uh, Jaleel Okafor, Pelican or no Pelican? Uh, definitely a Pelican next year. He's got a team option. They will certainly pick that up. They'll be here next year. He may be the starter for the Pelicans next year. Of all the guys out there, this is probably the easiest one. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, not to, we don't need to talk about that one too much. Let's move on to something that is probably going to be controversial because I see a lot of different takes about this guy, and that's Julius Randle. Um, so I'm kind of one of the fans that airs on the side of I don't feel like he can play defense at all, and I don't see him ever becoming really a you know even an average defender uh, at that just because of his lack of effort on that end. He has all the physical tools in the world, but it just always seems like kind of with Czech Diallo in the recent uh, past, just that lack of awareness, that lack of effort on the defensive end. And no matter how much he scores, I feel like he just gives up so much on defense and the numbers back that up. The Pelicans are a much better defensive team when he's off the floor. Um, so maybe the Pelicans will bring him back on some sort of team-friendly deal. I honestly don't know what his uh, market will be like. I mean, do you think that there's a huge market out there for uh, for Julius Randle this offseason? You know, he, he's put up some really good numbers. His numbers have looked good. There's there's no denying that. She shows up in the box score. You know, that can open some eyes and potentially get you some money. I'd say he hasn't felt as impactful as what those numbers look like, but that's the people watching this closely. And if you're not, you might like him and want to bring him in. And, you know, given that there's going to be a lot of teams with money out there in the NBA this offseason, maybe someone does throw something like four for 80 at him, close to 20 million a year. I don't like him for that number. I, you know, I like him for maybe 15 a year, like two for 30, I think would maybe be the tops that I would feel comfortable with there. He's a guy, like you said, there are big defensive deficiencies uh, offensively. He's not quite a black hole. Uh, but certainly he wants the ball, he wants to try and get it, and he wants to score, and some of the passing's okay at times, some of it's not. You know, he's not the best three-point shooter, but he kind of thinks he is. That's also a bit of an issue there as well. So these are all things that make me concerned, but I can tell you, the Pelicans coaching staff really, really likes Julius Randle. They're going to want him back next year. Maybe that puts pressure, assuming they're all back, on the new front office to try and re-sign him. But, you know, like you said, his market's going to kind of be a big question if, you know, there's a team that's missed out on some of these bigger free agents and they want to make a splash. That's the type of guy you can go and do it with. But that's the type of guy that you can also end up overpaying that really hurts your cap sheet for years to come. So right now, I'm leaning towards, yes, he'll be here next year on a one- or two-year kind of more, again, prove-it deal, not on a long-term one. 
Yeah, that kind of answers a, another Twitter question, too, from the Clubhouse Sports Pod, who asked, uh, what type of deal would you give Randall? And I agree with you there. Um, I wouldn't want anything long-term, um, and I'd kind of look for that 15 to $20 million range per year is what I would be giving him. And I think if any team, if any if, if a team is willing to give him that long-term money um, and give him around you know 20 or more a year, uh, I think I'll just let him walk in that situation. So, um, so yeah, so I, I wouldn't be too – uh, concerned if a team wants to throw some money at Julius Randle and and let him go. I don't think he's going to be a long term, you know, part of our future with the Pelicans organization. I, at least I hope not, because um, I really don't think that his defensive uh, prowess is ever going to come around anytime soon. So, um, all right. So one more question that um that we can have before I let you go here, Jake. And and this one is kind of I, I think I know the answer to this one, and Pelicans fans certainly. Uh, have an answer that they, you know, have already made up in their minds. But do you think there's any kind of situation this year, um, you know, whether it be because of the draft or because of what kind of deal we get back for AD or anything like that? Do you think there's a situation where we trade Drew Holiday? You know, no, not not this coming year. I think they want to keep him in here. You, you talked about it earlier. He's grown into a very good leader for this Pelicans team. He's taking young guys like Frank Jackson under his wing. Just that presence alone is worth it. You know, maybe he wants some stability in his life and doesn't want to leave. The only way you trade him is if he requests a trade and you go about doing best by this guy who's kind of given his all to this team and you'd have no problems doing that. I think that's the only way. But right now, that's not the impression I've gotten from anyone within the team anyone close to Drew Holiday, so I expect him to be back next season. Yeah, definitely. I don't think there's any situation really that um, Drew Holiday will be traded or anything like that, even if it was for a good package of young players and things like that. But I had to ask, um, but Jake, it's been great talking to you. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm always listening to your podcasts and stuff, so it's just great to uh, to discuss some Pelicans with you today. Go ahead and uh, plug anything you want to plug, let people know about your podcast. And uh, once again, thanks for coming on. Happy to talk Pelicans and some hoops. Of course, it's the Locked On Pelicans podcast Monday through Friday, giving you everything you need to know about your team, the New Orleans Pelicans. So make sure you listen and subscribe. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you for coming on, Jake. And that was your edition of the Deep South podcast for this week. Thanks for listening, Pelicans fans. I'm Ty Yeager, and I want to introduce you to the Rise Up podcast community, a community for podcasters created by podcasters dedicated to the promotion and growth of podcasts everywhere. Rise Up is not a network. There are no contracts and no control over your content. Just a vessel for you to spread the word of your work and connect with the fellow podcasters to collaborate, create, and promote. And guess what? It doesn't cost you a single cent to join the community. Join the Rise Up podcast community today by visiting our website at bit.ly slash riseuppodcommunity and follow the community on Twitter at rupodcommunity. Again, that's bit.ly slash riseuppodcommunity and at rupodcommunity on Twitter. Come and join the community of podcasts and rise up with us. Rise Up Podcast Community.